Welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Listen to Joe tackle the really tough moral issues, current events, and politics from a Catholic perspective. Now here's Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Hello again, Sixpack family. Welcome back to The Cantankerous Catholic, episode 120. Wow. I grew up in the Leave it to Beaver and Ozzy and Harriet days. You know, a time when the air was clean and sex was dirty, and the only thing a boy had to worry about was whether it would rain and he couldn't play baseball. Times change, and that's just a fact we all have to live with. But the changes that have taken place over the last 60 years are right out of Karl Marx's ideological playbook, which is to say they're right out of the bowels of hell. As you know, I don't like asking for your financial support. I always want a win-win situation whenever possible. Well, I've got a way for you to help this apostolate without you having to do anything you're not already doing. Everybody shops on Amazon. I've developed an affiliate relationship with Amazon. When you visit cantankerouscatholic.com and click on the episodes page, blog page, or about the show page, on the right-hand side of the page you'll see Amazon ads for Catholic books and merchandise. There's no price difference from Amazon's site, but if you click on something you're interested in and buy it, Amazon will pay me a small commission just for you clicking on that ad. It doesn't stop there either. Anytime you're on Amazon and find things you want to buy, send me the link to the items and I'll send you another link to click when you're ready to buy. You won't pay a dime more for the item, but Amazon will pay me a commission. That way you can help to financially support this apostolate just by doing what you were going to do anyway. Remember, Visit the episodes, blog, and about the show pages to find Catholic books and merchandise, and send me links to other things you want to buy on Amazon, and I'll send you the links that will pay this apostolate a small commission. And I thank you in advance for your support. I'm going to be all over the board on this episode, then focus on each one of these topics in subsequent episodes. You know, right is wrong, and wrong is right. Nothing is as it once was, even in our beloved church. For years, we watched Marxist bishops rise to power in this country and around the world. Now we have a pope who's socialist at best and Marxist at worst. Between the rise of Marxist bishops and the most extreme elements of Marxism, infiltrating and taking over an already morally depraved democratic party, we're now staring a Marxist takeover of our country right in the face. The great Archbishop Fulton Sheen saw all of this coming decades before he died. I can see no hope. Sheen told his radio listeners, unless we reverse the present order and admit that instead of politics setting limits to religion and the morality of Jesus Christ, religion and the morality of Jesus Christ must begin to set limits to politics. Sheen saw Marxism as a real threat to the future of America and the church, and no one in the church fought against it harder than he did. Speaking of Archbishop Sheen, Have you figured out yet why his cause for canonization has met with such difficult resistance? 
No matter what you've been reading and hearing about why the cause has been stalled, I'll tell you the real reason. Archbishop Sheen was a staunch enemy of Marxism. Our Marxist bishops and the left can't afford for him to be canonized. If he were elevated to the honors of the altar, everything he wrote, said, and did would become the focus of Catholics for the newest American saint. That would wake up Catholic America and force a fight the leftists know they can't win. You see, every time in history when Catholics have gotten behind a saint for a cause, in this case, anti-Marxism, the bad thing they were fighting stopped dead in its tracks. If you'll recall, prior to January 6, I told you that if the presidency was successfully stolen from Trump, which is to say the American people, we'd never again have free and fair elections. Well, the demonic Democrats have begun to assure that. To begin, they've come up with a bill called H.R. 1, commonly named the For the People Act. Its formal name is An Act to Expand Americans' Access to the Ballot Box, Reduce the Influence of Big Money in Politics, Strengthen Ethics Rules for Public Servants, and Implement Other Anti-Corruption Measures for the Purpose of Fortifying Our Democracy and for Other Purposes. Wow. (laughs) No wonder they shortened it to the For the People Act. Both the common name and the formal name are lies in and of themselves. What this act really does is guarantee that no one can be elected other than the demonic Democrats. We'll discuss this one in detail in another episode. Another thing they're doing to guarantee that only Democrats are elected is that they've introduced a bill to make Washington, D.C. a state. That would give them an extra two dim senators in perpetuity. I believe that the very attempt to make Washington, D.C. a state is unconstitutional, but the Constitution has never stopped the demonic dims before. It won't this time either. Biden created a commission to study the idea of packing the Supreme Court. He did this to look like he was being cautious, judicious, and fair. That was a smokescreen, though because just five days later, before this so-called commission could even meet for the first time, Congressional Dems introduced legislation to increase the number of justices from 9 to 13. If this is done under Biden, he'll appoint those four radically liberal activist judges, and the Democrats will never again lose a case before the Supreme Court. Next is infrastructure. Pretender Biden's $2 trillion spending plan, which is being promoted largely as a bill to address infrastructure, directs well under half of its total money to things traditionally defined as infrastructure. The analysis, based on a 25-page summary of the Pretender's proposal for the American Jobs Plan, indicates that $750 billion of the spending fits even a broad definition of infrastructure. Here are some facts about what most of the $2 trillion spending bill will cover. $400 billion for home-based care for elderly and disabled. What in the hell has that got to do with roads and bridges? $35 billion for climate change-related research and development. This includes, for example, replacing lead pipes, expanding broadband access, and modernizing public schools. $1.5 
in addition to money going to things traditionally associated with the word infrastructure, like roads, bridges, and ports. $50 billion for research infrastructure at the National Science Foundation. Why? What has the National Science Foundation got to do with infrastructure? $50 billion for a new Commerce Department office dedicated to monitoring domestic industrial capacity. How does the monitoring of domestic industrial capacity fit into any infrastructure? No, this is the first step toward nationalizing businesses in America. This will be used to create a false narrative that they can use to justify communist nationalization of businesses. $213 billion for home sustainability and public housing. This is a deceptive way to advance an Obama-era policy that Trump overturned. The plan is to do away with private single-family housing. The demonic Dems intend to take your home and force all of America to live in public housing. Your private property rights are in danger with this. The Biden plan includes $174 billion spent on electric vehicles, $400 billion on home-based care for the elderly and disabled, $25 billion on child care facilities, and $50 billion on research infrastructure at the National Science Foundation. The plan includes at least $35 billion aimed at research and development related to climate change. So Biden wants to change the seasons? He doesn't want us to have winter, spring, summer, and fall? That's the only climate change there is. There's no other sort of climate change. There's no scientific evidence of so-called climate change. None. I'm amazed at the way this phony science has morphed. The document that started all this crap was signed by a group of leftist intellectuals and determined by fiat that the world was being destroyed by humans and creating climate change. The biggest problem with this document is that there wasn't one single climatologist who signed on to the document. In fact, many climatologists came out saying that it was a hoax, but the media ignored them. It didn't fit the narrative. Now it's just become fashionable to be woke to climate change. Why? Power. That's what it's all about, power. It's just another part of our lives that can be regulated. It's nothing new. They told us in the 70s that we were about to go into a new ice age. Thirty years later, they said the globe was warming. Did we sleep through the new ice age? Because I sure as hell missed it. As soon as this contradiction was pointed out to the loony left, they adopted the neutral-sounding climate change label. Biden's infrastructure plan includes $45 billion for the federal government to buy clean energy goods. In other words, solar and wind power. That hasn't worked out anywhere it's being used. Besides, what in the hell has this got to do with roads and bridges? The plan also includes $14 billion to bring together industry, academia, and government to advance technologies and capabilities critical to future competitiveness. I hate to throw water on the loony left's parade, but we've been doing that for 250 years in America without government interference. It's called capitalism, and the people who drive the technologies and capabilities critical to the future competitiveness are called entrepreneurs. 
Involving the government in this will have the exact opposite effect on what they claim they want to accomplish. Government involvement in this sort of thing removes all incentive for the entrepreneurship that drives our economy. Hell, the government can't even build a user-friendly website. One part of Biden's plan that doesn't cost any money is the PRO Act, which would essentially override right-to-work laws in states across the country, allowing unions to extract dues from workers who don't want to be members. If you want a job in America, you'll have to belong to a union and pay dues, whether you want to or not. All unions in America, financially and ideologically, support the loony left's agenda. And what I say next is actually intended to offend those of you who are proud union workers, as I see on yard signs and bumper stickers all the time. The unions are nothing more than extortionist rackets. There was a time in this country when unions were necessary, but today they're just thieves. For example, the United Auto Workers extorted car manufacturers into paying the wages of their employees for two years after they've been laid off. What is that but theft? And they make you pay dues that go toward the promotion of the entire culture of death to include abortion, contraception, homosexuality, and transgenderism. I could go on and on about this bogus infrastructure bill, but I want to finish with one thing neither party in Washington is talking about except a few mousy voices. It was bad enough when our spending bills leapt from hundreds of millions to billions, but now Congress can't come up with a bill unless it's for trillions of dollars. Think about that. Trillions of dollars. The word trillion was never supposed to refer to money. It was intended for scientific purposes. We're going deeper and deeper in debt all the time. That truly stupid bartender in Congress, AOC, says that if we need more money, all we have to do is print it. She's really that stupid and ignorant of economics. Even in high school, I knew better than that. Our economic system doesn't work that way. All of you stupid liberals listening to this need to pay close attention because I'm going to explain this so even you can understand it. If you have a dollar with a true value of a dollar, then the government prints another dollar. What is your dollar worth? It's worth 50 cents. Now multiply that by trillions. Before the year's over, our money will be worthless and we'll have double-digit inflation, maybe triple-digit. That means you may be paying $20 for a loaf of bread before the year's over. Since Biden stole the White House, I've watched our grocery bill increase every single week. I'm also beginning to see the beginnings of new shortages of things. The only reason this enormous inflation rate hasn't already hit is because of the sound economic foundation laid by President Trump. What we've allowed Congress to do is to enslave our children, grandchildren, and even great-grandchildren to the government just to pay debt. You see, the government doesn't have any money. It never has in our entire 250-year history, and it never will. That's our money, which means it's also our debt. But members of Congress want you to believe they're spending their money for your benefit. What a lie. In my view, there are only three things that can happen. The first and most obvious is that we can just sit back and let things run their course. 
We'll be exactly like Guatemala by next year if we do that. Another thing we can do is for all the red states to secede from the Union and form the new United States of America with our own constitution. The problem with this is that the state's governments move too slowly. The legislatures are full of cowards, as we saw after the last election. I'm afraid that if they actually do secede, it'll be too late. The third thing to do is fight like it's 1776 again. Joe, you're talking treason. Were our founding fathers guilty of treason? Well, as a matter of fact, they were against King George and England. But as we heard last week from Paul Harvey, they were great American patriots who laid everything on the line for liberty. They were willing to go to the gallows for liberty. My greatest fear is that we're no longer the home of the brave, and Americans are too soft, so they care more about their safety and comfort than they do their freedom. I sure hope I'm wrong. Now maybe you understand why my motto is, comfort and conviction don't live on the same block. Keep your chins up, patriots. Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, wants to make sure you're informed about all the Catholic news you need to know. Here's Joe Sixpack's top five Catholic news picks for this episode. Catholic news pick number five. Hats off to LifeSite News. If we don't roll up our sleeves and immediately take care of the earth with radical, personal, and political choices, with an economic green turn by directing, sooner or later, our common home will throw us out of the window, the Pope said. No talk about souls, no talk about salvation, no talk about the evils in the world, only this socialistic crap about climate change. You're wacko! You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick Number 4 Hats off to LifeSite News. Undercover footage from Project Veritas shows Facebook's global planning leads say no king in the history of the world has been the ruler of two billion people, but Mark Zuckerberg is. You should not have power over two billion people. I just think it's wrong. Oh, no, 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 no. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic, Catholic News Pick number three. three. Hats off to the Daily Wire. The Biden administration is reportedly working on developing vaccine passports. Some businesses have already indicated that they will require proof of vaccination for people to enter their businesses. But the Electronic Frontier Foundation objects to the passport because it would, quote, create a two-tiered system that bars people who can't work, shop, or attend school because they don't have a cell phone or access to testing, end quote. Come on! Who do you think you're fooling? You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick Number 2 Hats off to the Daily Caller. Americans are increasingly becoming more comfortable in public spaces and traveling, according to a recent poll by Civic Science. The survey found that 35% of adults are not at all concerned with being in public spaces, while 43% are still somewhat concerned and 22% are still very concerned. 
Additionally, 55% of Americans felt comfortable going out to eat now, and 39% said they felt comfortable enough to go on vacation. Now we're talking. (laughs) You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic Catholic News Pick number one. Hats off to Fox News. A staffer for President Biden blocked Senator Ted Cruz from taking a video at a migrant facility. Cruz said Biden sent a political operative from D.C. to block our cameras and even threatened another senator to obstruct legitimate congressional oversight. Nevertheless, Cruz was able to post several pictures and videos that detailed what he called a humanitarian and a public health crisis. Amen! You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. I am hard, but I am fair. It's time for the Catholic Boot Camp with your drill sergeant, Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Learn the Catholic faith and how to defend it like you've never heard it before. This boot camp is tough. So there's no political correctness, no spirit of Vatican II, and no namby-pamby platitudes. Drill Sergeant Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, will prepare you for spiritual war. Now here's Joe Sixpack. Last week, we began looking at the 7th and 10th Commandments. Well, actually, we only cover the Seventh Commandment partially, but they're treated together because they both have to do with other people's property. So this week, we'll finish up the Seventh Commandment with a look at specific obligations, the irresponsible use of money and goods, and then a brief look at desiring things that belong to others, the Tenth Commandment. If you recall, I mentioned last week that cheating is one of the most common ways we sin against the Seventh Commandment. Now we'll look at a couple of more specific ways this is done. The first deals with employees and employers. Employees must conscientiously provide quantitative and qualitative work they're being paid to perform, as well as guard against damage to their employer's property. It's a sin to take anything from your employer without his express permission, and I do mean anything. You can't even take a few paper clips from the office or an empty carton from the stockroom without his permission. These would be venial sins, but why sin at all when asking permission avoids that? Besides, I can think of no better way to increase your employer's trust in you than to ask about the little things like that. If you live in a union town, then you're no stranger to the concept of a strike. All too often these days, we see strikes that the church would consider immoral, and this is usually due to our current culture of me. There are three conditions under which we may legitimately strike, when our real rights, not perceived rights, are violated or ignored, when lawful contracts are broken, and when other difficulties of a serious nature exist. Unless one or more of these conditions exist in the strike situation, then a Catholic is obligated to serve the employer in spite of co-workers' decisions to strike. An unfortunate reality today is we see strikes being used to extort more money or benefits from employers out of greed rather than real grievances. Employers have specific duties under the Seventh Commandment as well. Indeed, 
the duties of employers are spelled out in sacred scripture. There are three crimes, three sins in the Bible that cry out from the earth for justice, murder, sodomy, and cheating a laborer out of his wages. St. James wrote that the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Sirach says, To take away a neighbor's living is to murder him. To deprive an employee of his wages is to shed blood. These passages tell us that employers must see to it that their employees are paid just wages without undue delays. Employers must also see to it that working conditions are in accord with human dignity and are reasonably safe. It's very important to note that anyone who has broken the Seventh Commandment cannot receive absolution if he doesn't intend to make restitution. If someone confesses a sin against the commandment and fails to make restitution, there is no absolution, even if the priest granted it in the confessional. God just doesn't give free passes. Now let's talk about the irresponsible use of money and goods. The first, most obvious form of theft under this topic is that it's a sin to contract debt beyond your means. That's an injustice to both your creditors and your family. Gambling is an issue that frequently comes up when talking about this commandment. Let's begin by defining gambling. Gambling is the staking of money or valuables on a future event or game of chance, the results of which are unknown to the participants. Despite what many of our separated brethren believe, gambling in and of itself is not sinful. They tell us that gambling is the irresponsible use of money, wasteful, and is the desire to gain something for nothing. Let's look at that for a moment. By our definition of gambling, the stock market is nothing more than gambling. Our global economy would collapse if we did away with the stock markets, yet you don't hear gambling opponents crying out for its abolition. Hmm. Gambling opponents complain that gambling is nothing more than a desire to get something for nothing. Merchants and manufacturers often reward prizes for simply shopping with them or registering for a contest without obligation. I've yet to meet a gambling opponent who would turn down such a prize, yet that is most certainly both gambling and gaining something for nothing. Hmm. Opponents also complain about gambling being a waste of money if the person gambling loses because he has nothing to show for his money. If a couple hires a babysitter to watch the kids, goes out to dinner, then attends a movie, what have they got to show for the usually hefty sum of money spent? Nothing except a good time. Legitimate pleasure is what the couple paid for, and that's all gambling is, a legitimate pleasure. Gambling isn't sinful if done in moderation. It becomes sinful, possibly even a mortal sin, if it leads to dishonesty or risks the welfare of your family. In other words, gambling must be fair and done only with money budgeted for recreation. The tenth commandment is, you shall not covet anything which belongs to your neighbor. Covet means to unlawfully desire something that belongs to another, so this commandment forbids any desire to take or keep what belongs to someone else. It also forbids the envy of the good fortune or success of others. 
It's certainly morally permissible to desire what belongs to another person, provided the person is willing to make it a gift or to sell it. The prohibition of the Tenth Commandment applies only to dishonest desires. If this weren't so, you could never, say, purchase a car. The car belongs to the dealer, and he's certainly willing to sell it. So it's morally acceptable for you to desire a thing, provided you're willing to pay for it. A disturbing trend in this country regarding the Tenth Commandment is something the media call class envy. I think this comes from our growing culture of me. There's a movement in our land calling for higher taxation on the wealthy and restricting how much profit corporations can earn. In other words, punishing them for being successful. Based on all the arguments I've read and heard from promoters of such ideas, I've come to conclude that these people are just upset that they don't have a lot of money. So I'd say the media have chosen a good name for this because it's most certainly class envy. This is a sin against the Tenth Commandment. If people aren't satisfied with their situation, it's up to them to do something about it. We live in a free country, well, at least for the time being, with a free enterprise system. Steve Jobs began in a garage and built Apple to become one of the richest men in America. Anyone else can do the very same thing with the right idea, drive, initiative, and willingness to sacrifice. So rather than commit sins against the Tenth Commandment, these folks need to either learn to be at peace with their lot in life or set out to achieve more. The Catholic Church is 2,000 years old. A lot of wisdom is gained over two millennia. Each week we'll share some of that wisdom with a Catholic quote. So here's this week's Catholic quote. This week's Catholic quote is from St. Francis de Sales. He said, The greatest method of praying is to pray the rosary. I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. Barnaby was a juggler, a man of no importance who traveled with a circus in France and did tricks for the children. He'd spread out a carpet in the village square and juggle a tin plate on his nose, and then stand on his head and juggle six golden balls in the air and catch them with his feet. People would throw pennies on the carpet. Barnaby always knelt down and thanked God for the pennies. One winter day, a fine fat monk on a white mule asked him whether he would like to come to the monastery with him. Barnaby answered, Will they let a poor, ignorant fellow like me enter so holy a place as a monastery? Of course, the monk said. We're all ignorant before God. Barnaby got on the mule, held his arms around the fat monk, and they both laughed as they went their way to the monastery. That night, Barnaby bowed before the father abbot and said, Father, let me stay here. I can't ever be a holy man, but just let me work mop up the kitchen, and clean the stable. When the abbot consented, Barnaby promised himself that he would never use his juggling articles again. He was very happy until the day before Christmas. He saw each monk bring a gift for the Christ child. Brother Maurice brought some pictures he had made for the Bible. 
Brother John brought a statue which he had carved, and Brother Ambrose brought a new hymn he had just composed. But Barnaby said, I'm but a poor, ignorant man. Everybody has a gift to offer except me. Christmas Eve, when all the monks had gone to bed, the jolly fat monk, now pale, ran down the hall and rushed into the room of the Father Abbot and said, A most terrible thing happened in the church. Both of them rushed to the choir chapel, and the monk pointed a finger at the altar of our Blessed Mother. The abbot turned pale and exclaimed, God forgive him, he's lost his mind, he's mad. Down below was Barnaby. He spread out his carpet before the statue of Our Lady, and kneeling reverently, he was performing his juggling act. He juggled six golden balls in the air and then a pie plate from his nose. We must seize him and drag him away, said the abbot. But suddenly a bright light filled the chapel, and the statue of the Blessed Virgin began to move toward Barnaby. When she drew close to him, he bowed before her, then took the hem of her blue robe and kissed it. There was a smile on Our Lady's face. The light dimmed, and Our Lady disappeared. The abbot said slowly, Our Lady accepted the only Christmas gift he had to give. Blessed are the simple of heart, for they shall see God. Barnaby did this act for Our Lady, not for the statue. Our Lady was pleased with his veneration. Great deeds aren't necessary. You can honor the images of the Blessed Virgin Mary and the saints with simple devotion, and Our Lady and the saints will be pleased. This has been The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Thanks for subscribing, and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It.